we are uh, in the midst of a, a series called The Content of Contentment. And really what it is, is we're navigating through the, the book of Philippians. And so uh, if you uh, are interested in the, the rest of the series, you can feel free to check out our podcast and, uh, and catch up. But to give you a little bit of the cliff notes, this is a, a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote while he was in a Roman prison uh, to the church that he had planted in Philippi some 10 years earlier. So that's kind of where we catch up to Paul. And uh, we're actually in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12. And the section of scripture that I'm going to focus on this morning is verses 12 through 30. And so if you are uh, following along with the Bible app, if you have that, it's in there. If not, the scripture is going to be projected behind me. And so I'm going to go ahead and read the the portion of scripture. And it's a a little bit lengthy, obviously. So uh, bear with me, but uh, listen as we go through. It says this, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. It goes on to, uh, in verse 19, it starts to pick up a little bit more of... uh, the the traveling thoughts, and uh, we'll talk more about that. But he goes in and says, uh, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him. You will be genuinely concerned who, I'm sorry, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, because uh, he's trying to figure out whether or not he's going to, to die, uh, be executed for preaching the gospel. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I've thought it necessarily, necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. Now, the thing that you need to know about him real quick so you can understand the context is, as I read through this is he is actually someone that attends the church in Philippi that has been sent to Paul in prison. And um, basically he got sick while he was doing that and he's being sent back to the church in Philippi. So the church could view him as like a, a huge failure. And so Paul is kind of speaking to that here. And he says, my, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and um, if, if you know anything about Philippi, it's populated by a lot of Roman soldiers, retired Roman soldiers. And so he's speaking to the value of this person, even though he's failed on his mission through some people's perspective. And, and so it goes on and says, and your messenger and the minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I'm the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice in seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. So he's not a failure, guys. He did a good job. He just got sick. For nearly 
he died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So we covered a lot of prayer, I mean, a lot of uh, scripture there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that uh, your presence would remain in this place, that we would uh, unpack the richness of your scripture and that we would have an encounter with you that would lead us to live differently for your glory and uh, for our joy. In your name we pray. Everyone said, amen. How many of you guys have ever played paintball? We have some paintballers like, okay. I had not done it very often. A lot of my friends are like psycho about it. And uh, I, was, I was asked to, to play paintball, I think, I could only recall uh, three times in my life. Um, all of them were horrible. They all ended disastrous, uh, angry at people. Like it did not end well. I know that people do it all the time. They love it. I hate it. I don't understand the concept. Like, hey, could you whip stuff? really hard at me, like compress air so it flies at me so hard that when it hits me, I cry like a little child. I don't understand. Be like, that was a good time, guys, huh? High five. It looks like blood, but it's just paint on my clothes. Sweet, right? Anyway, so I digress. Uh, I was invited to be a part of this uh, paintball team and uh, this little scrimmage, if you will. And we're coming together and there were a couple like diehards, like they absolutely love paintball and they have like, they're showing each other this new trigger they have. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh. Like if you're really into it, good for you, but I can't imagine being like, dude, check out this trigger. Look. <laughs> wow. Wow. You can really, you could haul some paint with that. Uh, but anyway, uh, they're, they're talking about all this stuff. And so we're going through the rules and I'm listening because I'm thinking my only experience in this did not end well. It was part of a wedding party. It was horrifying. And so um, I, I'm looking at this and I'm listening to all the instructions and uh, they're like, okay, you have to go here. You have to go there. And uh, we're going to play capture the flag, which is a variation that you can play other than, I don't know, war games. I'm not sure. But uh, you have to run over and capture their flag and bring it back over to your side. And there's like these big inflatable things that you have to hide behind, uh, you know, risking life and death. And, and so they said, so here's the deal. We just need to know who your captain is. Now, I thought of this as an, an arbitrary thing. Like, who's the captain? I don't care. I don't give a rip. Like, I don't know paintball or anything. And so this one dude was, like, super amped up about it. And, and him and I had had, had kind of uh, some conflicts growing up, if you will, a little tension, okay? Uh, one that I released before the Lord, but evidently he didn't. You'll find out. And so um, he's sitting here, and, and he's like, yeah, I'd, I'd really like to be the captain. I'd like to be the captain. And so I'm like, I don't care. So we look around. Everybody's like, yeah, sure. So yeah. And then one of the guys goes, well, I think, uh, you know, there's this guy, David. I think David would be more equipped to be the captain, you know, from a strategic standpoint in order to blah, blah, blah. I'm like, wow. Like, this is legit, huh? Okay. So I'm like, I, I don't care, man. I, I really don't care. So if he wants to do it, he can do it. So they're like, oh, okay. So they go along with me, and this guy becomes our captain. And so we're in the beginning, and he starts laying out this plan of like, okay, guys, we're going we're gonna to go right up the gut. They're going to expect us to spread out, but we're just going to go right up the middle. I'm like, up the middle? He's like, yeah, just you run right up the middle. You get the flag. Who, who's probably the fastest? And so this other guy that's way too excited is like, I'm probably the fastest. He's like, no, no, I've known Claude forever. He's super fast. Like, I think Claude's the fastest. He should lead point. I'm like, I'm not sure I like this game. And he's like, no, trust me, we'll cover you. We're going to be real strategic about it. It's going to be awesome. And so it, lo and behold, the captain makes the decisions, and we all fall in place. And I'm immediately regretting that I agreed to allow him to be the captain. And so we're getting behind. They blow this whistle, and we run behind these barrels. And immediately it's like, 
you know, paint just spraying everywhere. I'm like, this is stupid. Why did I pay for this? Like, why did I pay to be punished? And so I'm hiding behind this thing. Paint's flying everywhere. People are screaming. And this, I look over, and this dude's like, Like, what are you doing? Like, are, we're not, you know, in the seals or something. I don't understand the hand motions you're giving me right now. He's like, I got nothing, dude. I don't know what you're talking about. And so he waves somebody over. They run over. They give him coverage, shooting and everything. And so then he looks at me. He's like, run. I'm like, now? He's like, run. I'm like, now? He's like, yeah, go for the flag. Now, now, now. So he's the captain. So I get up and start running, and I get lit up like a flipping Christmas tree. Just like, it was like he waited till everybody was standing right there and it was like, and I'm like, ah! like you can't even say ow enough. You're just screaming in pain if you've ever experienced that at that close range. And I start getting struck by paintballs in my back. And so I turn around and I throw my hands up. I go, seriously? And they're all laughing. <laughs> it's so funny. It's so funny. My own team shoot. You were out anyway. You were out anyway. I'm like, okay, fine. That's cool. So I walk back. I'm just like, boo, 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 boo. I just start blowing. They're like, what are you doing? We're going to lose. I'm like, hey. worst game ever. Worst game ever. I didn't realize the implications of who I was giving authority to. When you're in situations, you're giving authority to someone or something. I just arbitrarily said, yeah, he can be the captain. And so I have a question for you this morning that I think we all need to consider. What have I given authority to in my life? What have I given authority to in my life? Because the fact is you're obeying something. This isn't just a message this morning uh, for Christ followers. And I realize we have people from all different ranges and different walks of life, uh, people that are committed Christ followers, all the way up to the person that's maybe a skeptic. Maybe somebody came here thinking that college was open today and they think this is a class. I don't know. I think that's funny every time I say it. In either case, regardless of who you are and why you came here this morning, I want to tell you, you're obeying something. You've given authority to something or someone in your life. And you may not fully understand the implications of that until the moment comes where it requires something of you, and all of a sudden you realize, wait, how did we get here? How did we get here? We live our lives as if the decisions that we make have immediate implications, but oftentimes we reap the consequences of what we've given authority to decades ago, years ago. So I ask you again, what have you given authority to in your life? Let's look at the text in just a second here because the beginning of this grouping of scripture that I'm going to spend a majority of my time on unpacking, it's, it's a portion of, of scripture that Paul is explaining what's called sanctification. Sanctification. And sanctification is a theological term. Uh, it means to, to make holy or to set apart. So if you're not familiar with that language, it, it means the idea of being holy or being set apart. And you see, sanctification is something that happens immediately when we cross that line of faith. That when, when you say, listen, Lord, I, I want you to forgive me of my sins and come and be the, the Lord and leader of my life. In the moment that you come into relationship with Christ, you become sanctified. But it's not only at the moment of salvation. You see, sanctification is immediate and ongoing. It's a process. It's a process. 
The process of sanctification is really lifelong obedience. Lifelong obedience. And so verse 12, it starts off, and it could be confusing if you just read it at face value. Uh, Paul says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This can get confusing sometimes because if you just look at it at face value, you say, wait, I have to, I have to work out my own salvation? This is not works righteousness. What Paul is not saying is, listen, you need to go and earn your salvation. Like in my absence, whatever, I appreciate your obedience. The way you earn salvation is to obey. Just go earn it. He's not saying that at all. In fact, for those of you that maybe come from a, a place or a, a background of feeling like you need to earn your own salvation, it might be the reason why at some point in your life you maybe thought, I don't think I can be a Christian. It just, it seems too hard. It seems too hard. Someone that, that says that type of language ultimately doesn't understand the reality of what it is that Christ has done because we can't ever be good enough or check enough religious boxes to earn our salvation. Jesus did the work for us on the cross. In fact, Jesus doing the work for us on the cross is called justification. So we've got some SAT words for you this morning. Sanctification and justification. You guys are basically theologians. <laughs> so what, what Jesus has done on the cross is called justification. And so in Bible college, uh, the way you remember that is justification, just as if I never sinned. Okay. So justification means because of what Christ did on the cross, it's as if you have never sinned. Jesus paid the price that you and I deserve when he laid his life down on the cross. And so as a result, we get to walk in the fullness of what he deserves. That's justification. That's great news, right? But it can also be damaging because at face value, if you're like, hey, listen, I'm justified by what Christ did on the cross. I'm set free. It comes to a place of complacency sometimes. In fact, Paul is saying to the Philippians that they can't rest in their justification. So how about you this morning? Christ follower in the room, person that, that confesses to love Jesus. Are you treating the cross like a get out of jail, get out of hell free card? Are you treating the cross, a relationship with God, what it is that he did for you as a get out of hell free card? I used to. I used to. That's the way I approached church. That's the way I approached Jesus. That's the way I approached my relationship with God was, okay, what do I have to do to avoid hell? Because that is horrifying. So once I understood and believed that there was a hell, I was like, what do I have to do? Well, you, you pray this prayer. Boom, did it. Now what else? And so then I got to work on my salvation. I started working on it. So I'm going to earn my salvation now. So does it mean church attendance? I'll attend. Does, does it mean giving money? I'll give money. I'll, I'll do whatever it is. I'll serve. I'll earn my salvation because I want to avoid hell. And so we pervert what it is that God intended justification and sanctification to be. We treat it like a get out of hell free card. Instead of what Paul is saying to the Philippians and to us is that if we're doing that, we're missing out on the fullness of life. 
We're missing out on the fullness of life of what God intended to, to rest in our, in our justification, but not in a way of complacency. Instead, to allow the anxiety of the sin of our life to be put to rest when we say, listen, God, I failed, but would you forgive me? Will you walk with me? Will you continue to sanctify me? Will you ongoingly set me apart, immediate and ongoing? Listen, sanctification is about living in light of the fact that we've been justified and seeing the beautiful ripple effect of that truth. It should be a ripple effect. Like, when we come to know Christ, it should be like a ripple effect with all the people that we love and know best, not a, I did it. Okay, now I just need to hang on until Jesus comes back. Oh, Jesus, come back soon. Come back soon, because I can't hold it together too much longer. I love the way Eugene Peterson articulates sanctification. He's a modern-day theologian, and he, he articulates it this way. A long obedience in the same direction. Isn't that cool? A long obedience in the same direction. It's, it's easy to obey for a moment, right? Anybody that has kids can see that, right? You're like, oh, good, they listened. Done till now. But this long obedience in the same direction. I want to submit to you that obedience to the gospel is one of the contents of contentment. We've been talking about contents of contentment and kind of this counterintuitive approach. And, and the reality is one of the contents of contentment is to be obedient to the gospel. And so I ask again, what have you given authority to in your life? Because you're obeying that. You're obeying that, whatever it is. So how do we get to a, a place of obeying the gospel? It seems kind of difficult to put handles on. And uh, you might say this morning, well, I think I am obeying the gospel. Like, I'm here at church, right? Like, so, boom, done, check it. <laughs> but it's far deeper than that because you can be in relationship with God and, and in the process of following him and still obey the cares and the desires of this world. The thing that's easiest for us to do is to put our preference above that of God's. Well, but I want to do this. And so doesn't, doesn't the fullness of, of life for me look like my will? I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. I think in Scripture there's a lot of evidence of people doing things outside of their comfort zone because God has called them to walk that way and to obey. We see a picture of that in Jesus. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and, and he's literally tormented. He's distressed. In fact, Distressed, the same word that's used by Paul later on, it's only used two times in Scripture, this word distressed. It's used in the Garden of Gethsemane and also uh, with Epaphroditus as far as him being distressed about his current condition. And so there's this deep reality of a, of a potential impending death. And Jesus is sitting there and, and he's sweating blood, the Word of God says. And, and we've learned from physicians that that's physically possible if you get stressed enough. And Jesus is there and he's saying... Is there a way for this cup to pass? God, is there another way? But nonetheless, your will, not mine. I'm going to do it, not because it's easy, not because I love the idea, not even because I understand that it's my will. In fact, it's painful, it's hard, it's difficult, but I will obey the gospel. And so verse 13 it goes on and we say, how do we muster that? It says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You see, 
It's God's work in us that makes this possible. So to work out your salvation means to increase your proximity to Jesus. If you, if you want to continue in the sanctification process, if you want to continue to be made holy, if you want to walk in the fullness of life, it means getting closer to Jesus. It means holding looser to the things of this world. It means holding looser to material possessions. It means holding looser to the demands of work, to the demands of life, you name it. And instead saying, I'm going to increase my, my proximity to Jesus. It means allowing the gospel to be the authority in your life. Now, Christian or not, consider the implications of that. Just for a moment. What, what would it look like? And you can have your Christian face on in front of me. It's cool. Like, I don't expect you to, to be like, right, I'm not doing that, okay? I'm fine. I'm going to assume that, that everyone is allowing the gospel to be the authority in their life. But in the quietness of your mind, would you function in your schedule day to day the way you do if the gospel was the authority in your life and not your kids? and not your job, and not your finances. You see, a good thing becomes a destructive thing when it becomes the authority in our life. You're obeying something. It drives your schedule. It drives everything you do, who you are, where you live, what you're about. Are you really allowing the gospel to be the authority in your life? It doesn't end there. There's something interesting about this text. When it, when it talks about you working out your salvation, this, the word for your and work out in the original Hebrew, uh, the original Greek text is actually plural. It's plural. So that doesn't make sense, right? Yours. <laughs> we have no word uh, for work out yours and work outs. <laughs> what it really means in, in the Greek is it's saying, listen, this isn't, just for you individually, but it's a call for us to do this corporately as well. It's an amazing, profound truth in the text. So, so work out your own salvation as we work out our salvation in community, in a local church, while being what it goes on and talks about with fear and trembling. And what that literally means is being in awe of God. So think about that for a second. So we work out our salvation individually and working out in the sense of we increase our proximity to Jesus individually. We allow the gospel to be the authority in our lives. And as we do that, we corporately allow the gospel to be the authority in our gatherings. And so we lean in and all of a sudden something of sanctification, of lifelong obedience in the same direction starts to happen. And as a result, the awe of God is breathed upon us corporately. Think about that. There's something else about this tense here. The verbs here used, they're in an imperative tense, which means it's a non-negotiable command. So Paul isn't saying like, hey, you know what? You should think about this. He's saying, listen, if you are a Christ follower, this is what you must do. Anything short of this is living life in a ripped off version. It's falling short of, of what it is that Christ has done and in some way cheapening the cross. It's a non-negotiable command. We are called to increase our proximity to Jesus together. And so for people who are like, well, I don't really need a church to have a relationship with God. I agree. 
but you're missing out on the fullness and the command of Scripture that's saying, no, 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 we do this together. And if you're here this morning, you're like, I knew it. He knew I was coming in, so that's what he was going to talk about. We're just going through the text in order. Relax. <laughs> so maybe it's something that God wanted you to hear. We're called to increase our proximity to Jesus together. And the reason why I said relax is because the next thing he does is he addresses our attitude. Isn't that interesting? I think probably because if you're a human being with a pulse in here, there's a little bit of attitude probably raising up in you. <laughs> like, seriously? So like, I have to reorganize my life. I have to be part of a local church. I have to lean all in. And so verse 14, he says, do all things without grumbling and disputing. Awesome verse. That's it. Front to start. Do all things without grumbling and disputing. Listen, I parsed the snot out of this verse, and what that means is I tore it apart in its original text, and it means, get this, this is what it means. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Boom, that's it, face value. All things literally means everything. It's talking about grumbling being sin. When you complain as an individual or when you argue, corporate. So once again, Paul's saying this is individual and this is us together. So stop complaining individually and stop arguing corporately in all things. In all things. That seems impossible, right? Because we're human and we're all messed up. <laughs> And so we get together, we have an opinion, and th this doesn't make sense. And right now we're in the infancy of our church, so we're like kind of all excited. We're like, oh, church plant, this is awesome. Oh, they did that? That's awesome. I like this. I like that. But soon that will wear off, and it'll be like, um, I don't like this. Have we thought about that? I'm not so sure I'm happy with this. This takes up a lot of time. Or whatever. And the complaining will start to come in, and the arguing will start to come in. Why? Because we're human beings. We're sinful. And we need to continue to be sanctified by the reality of the justification of what Christ has done on the cross. In other words, we need to be renewed by the truth of our gospel. Listen, your personal preference, trumping mission, indicates a drift away from gospel awareness. I'm going to read that again because I wrote it out and I was like, whoa. That's actually pretty good. So I'm going to say it one more time. Not because I wrote it, but because I think there's some truth summarizing everything right here. Your personal preference, trumping mission, indicates a drift away from gospel awareness. When you do things based on what you want, you're indicating, I don't understand the gospel. I forgot what it is that Christ has done. I forgot that, that Christ gave of himself so much that I'm not willing to give of myself now. This is about me. I mean, after all, Jesus wants me to have the fullness of life, so psh, I don't have to worry about that. Did I just go, psh? <laughs> That's awesome. For if you're listening in podcasts, it was just annoying in your ear, but the visual was amazing. Let me illustrate this. I'm going I'm to illustrate it through something that we can all put our handles on. Let's say you inherit a hundred million dollars. A hundred million dollars. I was trying to think, I was going to say like a billion or something, but maybe a hundred million is more feasible. So you inherit a hundred million dollars. And on your way to go sign whatever needs to be signed in order to make that official, your car breaks down. Just dead. And you pull over and you start yelling and crying and screaming. And why me? I'm about to go get my money and now I'm probably going to be late. And I can't believe this. And you literally lose sight of what you've been given undeservingly. 
That's a snapshot of getting away from awareness of the gospel. All that you have been given, and yet right now you're going to complain about this. You're going to argue about this. Why? Because you've lost sight of a huge inheritance that has been undeservingly given to you. We need to speak the gospel to ourselves so the sin of grumbling is replaced with thanksgiving. Can you imagine a place where individuals commit to saying, listen, in the moment of tension, when I think, you know what? Why can't my day be the way I intended it to be? That we're able to reflect and say, you know what, God? I'm going to be thankful in the midst of it because today I woke up and I breathed in and out. And it's by your very grace and mercy that I'm alive. And it doesn't mean that I'm okay with the situation or that I'm happy about the circumstances, but instead I'm going to turn my eyes to you and I'm going to take another step forward because of who you are and what you have done centering yourself in the truth of the gospel. And secondarily, we need to speak the gospel to each other so that division is replaced with unity. Imagine a church, a community where people come together and say, listen, I prefer this, but this really isn't about me. And so if this is going to serve people on the mission, if we're going to go further faster, if we're going to do something to reach people that are far from us or whatever it looks like, then, then let's be about that. Let's be about the mission of God because of what Jesus has done on the cross. So division is replaced with unity. The truth is our attitude is a shining light in a dark world. A shining light in a dark world. It's our attitude. Isn't that funny? Sometimes we think that it's like our spirituality. And so we're like, try to get in positions where like, okay, I think I'm going to do it. I think I'm going to do it. Here I go. Here I go. Ready? I go to church. <gasps> I think I just witnessed. Praise the Lord. You know? But it's not about that. It's about our attitude in the midst of difficulty. That when our world is coming down around us, that, that we don't have like a plastic smile on our face, but instead... There's a hope and, there, and there's a joy that we're able to articulate, not in some ripped-off way, but in a way with tears streaming down our face to say, listen, but I know God's at work because we live in an imperfect world, but my God is good. And so he's at work. And people will look at that and go, what? Are you serious? It's our attitudes that are shining lights in a dark world or are awkwardly as dark as everyone around us. Paul goes on in verses 16 through 18, and he literally models what he's saying here. He's in a Roman prison, and he may be killed for preaching the gospel. Like, he may be laying down his life. He doesn't know. He says, I may, I may not be with you. And so he's facing the consequences of the reality of preaching the gospel. And he's saying, but you know what? I rejoice. I rejoice. And so he models it. He walks it out. He says, I'm glad and I rejoice. Why? Because he's creepy, because he's delusional, because he doesn't understand that his life is about to be taken. No, because he's obedient to that which he's given authority to in his life. So what have you given authority to in your life? Because you're obeying it, and it has implications. And maybe you don't see it right now, but you will in 10 years. You will in 20. He goes on in verses 19 through 30, and he moves on to some other illustrations. And I love that he does it because if, if you're just reading Philippians at face value and you've gotten to the middle of chapter 2 here, you might be like, wow, like, Paul's legit. Like, he's impressive. I don't think I'm that impressive. <laughs> but I love that he goes into some illustrations and he uses Timothy and Epaphroditus to say, hey, just so you know, this isn't like an apostle thing. These guys right here, they're humble. 
They're others-focused. They're servants. They're working out their salvation without grumbling. In fact, hey, you know Epaphroditus? Yeah, he almost died, guys. The dude almost died, but he's happy that he had the opportunity to, to serve you, and he's coming back with you. So Paul is showing us that obedience to the gospel is possible for anyone. So what are your obstacles this morning? What is it that, that you're holding back that you're saying, mm, I'm not so sure? Is it because you're not good enough? You see, the thing that I like about Epaphroditus, he was, he was sent by the Philippian church to go and, and tend to Paul. And obviously on the way he gets sick, we don't know what he's sick from, but he basically fails on his mission. And when he comes back, it would be almost like tail between his legs, like, sorry, guys, I dropped the ball. And for a military, for a military uh, Roman colony, like, they're just looking at him like, dude, man up. Like, th there would have been a big deal for him to come back dropping the ball. And instead, Paul just speaks life into him and speaks life into him. But it's even more than that. Like, Epaphroditus, his name, he's named after Aphrodite. Aphrodite was an idol, right? And so what we know by Epaphroditus is that he came from a family of idol worshipers. He's not an apostle. He's not someone that, that walked and talked with Jesus. He's somebody that, that came from an idol-worshiping, broken family. And he's living on mission and fails, and he comes back, and Paul's like, this guy deserves honor because he was others-focused, because he's walking out his sanctification. And so I tell you that this morning because I think the light needs to go on in your life that you don't have to be a certain type of person to walk in the fullness of obedience to the gospel. You can't exempt yourself. You can't say, well, I didn't have the Christian upbringing, or, well, I don't think you realize, like, my family wasn't like that. No. It's an idol worshiper who walks with the name marked for the rest of his life as such. It's a big deal for him to say, no, I'm, I'm obedient to Christ. So what are your obstacles this morning? Is it that you didn't come from the right upbringing? Is it that it's just hard? It's really hard to, to think about the implications of the gospel on my life. What have you given authority to in your life? that is making obedience to the gospel difficult or impossible? Is it your career track? Because that's a big one. Is it the thing that, that you're saving up for or the plan that you have? I mean, I have, a, I have a whole plan for my life. And so, you know, check one, check two, and I have a plan here, so I've got to work that out. What, have, what is it that you have given authority to in your life? Contemplate something as we leave here today. I want to I give you something to consider. I want it to be something that you contemplate, maybe in the quietness of your mind, maybe you journal about later, maybe on, on the ride home you talk to your spouse about, or as you leave and you pick up your kids, if you have children, they're talking about the same content, to be able to look at them and say, this right here, contemplate this. The gospel is calling me to be obedient by addressing this issue in my life. It's in your notes, it's in you version where the gospel is calling me to be obedient by addressing this issue in my life. What is it? My schedule, my, uh, <clears throat> the way I interact with my family, 
the way I interact with my coworkers? What is it that you have to say, you know what, I didn't realize it, but I gave them authority in my life, and now I'm walking under that. And it feels like a burden, and I guess I don't have to have that burden. What is it the gospel is calling me to be obedient by addressing? Because regardless of who you are and where you came from today, the text requires something from us. We don't just gather in this place to, to read some verses and to sing some songs and to leave this place being like, there, I did church. No, like contemplate the implications in your life. What does this mean? What does it require of you? What does it require of your family? I want to challenge you to have a conversation about it. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. We're going to go into a, a time of worship here in just a moment so that we can respond in like kind. But as we do that, I, with every head bowed and eyes closed, I want to challenge you to consider what your implications are specifically. And so maybe this morning, the implications are giving Jesus the authority in your life. Maybe you've never asked him to be the Lord and leader of your life. Or you did, but somewhere along the way, you kind of perverted it into my get out of hell free card. And this morning, with full understanding of what it means to be justified and to be sanctified, say, you know what, I want to come into right standing with Jesus, and I want that ripple effect to start to be worked out in me. If that's you this morning, with the, in the quietness of your mind right now, you can pray this prayer. Lord, would you forgive me of my sins? I accept what you've done on the cross on my behalf. Would you come and be the Lord and leader of my life? It's that simple. If you pray that prayer, I'd love to have a conversation with you afterwards, and I'll talk about that at the end of the service. But for everyone else in the room, I want you to consider the implications in your life. Is it a conversation? Is it just saying right now, you know what, I need to talk to my spouse about this, or I need to talk to my kids about this, or I need to journal about this. Maybe it's just a decision to commit to saying, I'm going to process this in my life. Maybe for you, you're like, man, I grumble a lot. I complain a lot. That's, that's not the, the outflow and the markings of, of someone that understands the truth of the gospel. God, would you redo a work in my heart? Would you, would you till the soil of my heart this morning so that I can remember and be a light, a shining light of someone that's slow to anger and quick to love? I don't know what the implications are this morning, but I know that there's a God that loves you that doesn't want to, you to leave this place the same way you came in. you would just stand with me. I'm going to just say a prayer as we go into a time of worship in response to God. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I thank you that we don't literally have to work out our own salvation, but that we can be aware of the reality that Jesus has already worked it out and that we can instead lean in to the process of sanctification, that we can have obedience in the same direction for your glory and for our joy and for the joy of everyone we interact with. Lord, we commit this morning this community to be a community centered on the truth of the gospel. 
And as we work out what that looks like individually in our own spheres, Father, we declare this morning corporately that we will function in accordance with the truth of the gospel, that no preference other than the divine word of God will direct every decision, all that we're about for your glory and your honor because you're worthy of our praise.